0: Hi Travelers, today is Friday, April 21st. On today's The Continental Sports Podcast, we're going coast to coast. We start in California and talk to Jason Ross from Sacktown Sports on the Sacramento Kings and their playoff push. How far does he think the Kings are going to go in this year's playoffs? Does he even think the Kings are going to beat the Warriors in the first round? We then head to North Carolina and talk Charlotte sports with ESPN 730 of The Game's Mario Washington. What are the Panthers fans saying about the exciting number one pick this year? Are the Hornets ever going to be relevant again? We finish the show, as always, with our off-the-maps and long hauls of the week, as well as give a prediction for the week ahead. Make sure to check out our link tree in the description of this episode We can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. You can also listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Okay, let's get started. Now... We have the uh, Sacramento Kings uh, Warriors series on the underway here uh, in NBA uh, championships. Uh, tied up the series last, or uh, excuse me, uh, Warriors finally got their first win last night against the Sacramento Kings. Um, no Draymond Green, but didn't seem to be a problem. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts going into uh, the, the remainder of the re- remainder of this series? We're going to have Jason Ross on from uh, Sacramento Sports giving us a little bit more of a brief uh, rundown into this series. But what are your guys' thoughts going into, uh, I guess, it's going to be Sunday night here as they go to game four uh, in uh,
1: uh, San Francisco? Definitely looks like a seven-game series to me. You know, it looks like the home team has more of the advantages in the series. Gold, uh, Sacramento won the first two. Now Golden State won last night. And, you know, Golden State is not a team you know that you can count out even though they're the sixth seed you know they still won it last year they still are defending nba champions and they they have a dynasty this these past couple years you know for the kings you know it's a little little bit inexperienced but for the home team it's been either way has been very uh very significant in this series to start it off Korea is
0: not Curry has not played well. Uh, first two games of the series, uh, only shot nine for twenty-seven with fifty-eight points, which for his standards is definitely not up where he needs to be. Uh, Davian Mitchell has been done has been doing a really good job of shutting him down when Fox is not on the on the court. But Zach, what are your take on this series? Uh, how do you think they're gonna? How do you think this uh, series is gonna play out? Do you think Warriors are gonna gain momentum here and shut down the Kings going forward? Or do you think? Kings are going to try to try their best in game four, especially go back home and regroup a little bit and try to get home field advantage again.
2: No, I'm with Justin. I think this is going to be a six or seven game series. To me, the concern is Golden State, and they went on the road. They were terrible during the regular season, but at the same time, they're a dynasty. They've won four of the last seven championships, so you can never count them out. I think the big issue for the Warriors right now – Draymond or no Draymond is Sabonis underneath. The size of Sacramento, I think, is a big deal, and I think the quickness of Sacramento. When you look at De'Aaron Fox, how well he's played, uh, they they've really shot the ball well. And in crunch time, in the fourth quarter. The Kings have been the better team. You would expect the more experienced Golden State team to be able to handle themselves in the fourth quarter of games, but it's been the inexperienced Kings that have been better down the stretch. Game two, they were up 91-87. Draymond gets ejected, blowout. Game one, the Kings are the more poised team down the stretch. I I don't tend to look at game three very often unless the road team wins just because that was pretty much the lock of the century that Golden State was going to win even without Draymond. I actually think they're a little better offensively without Draymond out there.
0: Well, they had the win. I mean, they couldn't go down three, uh, three nothing because no team has ever come back from being down uh, the first three games in, in, a, in a series in the NBA uh, playoffs. So they had the win. But I think a, a, the big thing they have to consider too going forward is they can't afford to lose in the first round because they have this huge luxury tax they play they pay every single year just to keep Curry, Green, and Thompson together. And if they lose in the first round and don't have a good showing in the NBA playoffs. They're not going to be able to keep that band together, and that's going to be a big detriment to them going forward. So there's definitely a lot of uh, positive, like there's a lot of encouragement and a lot of motivation for the w- Warriors to go as far as they can this year in order to keep the current squad that they have interested and motivated to continue running it back year after year. Does um, any
2: t- after this year? Draymond's coming back, or no? I think he's gone. I think if, yeah. unless they win the title, I don't think he's coming back. I think Curry and Clay are there until they retire. I think Draymond's the odd uh, man out.
0: Where do you think he goes next year? Uh, you, to you mean, set. Yeah, way too. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting though. I mean, I think he uh, he's definitely a pivotal pivotal piece in this team. I think Looney is a team is is a player that people are not talking enough about though. Looney has been playing amazing. I mean, he basically showed last night why. Green and Looney should not be on the field at the same time. Looney is capable of handling Sabonis by himself. He's capable of hand- handling the center position by himself. If you don't have Looney and Draymond Green at the same time, you get more shooters around, more offense around, and it really showed last night with the Kings being able to come away with the victory. Uh, let's go, uh, let's change gears now. We have Mario Washington. On after Jason Ross on today's show, I'm going to talk about Carolina Panthers and a little bit of the Hornets as well. Uh, two teams definitely not playing up the par, especially what their fan base wants. But um, Carolina Panthers, they draft first in the uh, coming up in just a week, a week and a half from now. Uh, going to pick a QB in the first round, no doubt. I think Bryce Young seems to be the favorite going uh, as of right now for the for that pick. I'm surprised though, what are you guys' thoughts on them maybe drafting down and maybe trying to make a trade with the Texans uh, to tra- let, let the Texans get the number one pick and maybe get Texan, uh, the Houston's second and twelfth pick? Because I don't, don't think there's ten. a whole lot of difference between – I don't know. I think, I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot in my opinion. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between the top four quarterbacks in this draft. I think either one of them could be a bust and either one of them could be a star. And it's really just a coin flip either way.
2: Yeah, I think there is a separation. I think it's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud up here, and then Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are down there. I think there is a significant gap between the top two and the next two. I don't see them trading Texans. What you they traded up for the number one pick. They're going to use that pick. And I think it's going to be Bryce Young. He's canceled all of his meetings with other teams. That seems to me a pretty clear indicator that he's going to be the starting quarterback there. And I think he would be a good fit for a Panthers team that really isn't that far away. They went seven and ten last year. Yeah, I had to think about it because I was going to say seven and nine, but I forget they play seventeen now. So they went seven, seven, and ten last year. They're they're not that far off. And I think Bryce Young could go there and make an immediate impact. And so I don't see them trading out of that pick. I think C.J. Stroud potentially dropping right now, surprising, but I guess to me it's also showing that people don't actually watch college football, and I don't understand why draft scouts don't watch college football, but that's a whole separate segment altogether. Yeah.
0: I, um, what do you guys think on the S2 test? I, I know out of all the quarterbacks this year in the draft, uh, Bryce Young scored the highest on the S2 test. And for you that for you that don't know, it's just the – test that basically measures a QB's decision-making and, uh, their ability to make decisions on the fly. Uh, he scored the highest out of the quarterbacks in this class this year. Uh, just some other names that have scored high in the recent years. Uh, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Brock Purdy, definitely some big names that scored, uh, very high on the S2 test. So it definitely has some credence to it. And, uh, Justin, are you, are you afraid of his size though? Uh, are you afraid of Bryce Young's size or do
1: you think he's going to be able to overcome that? It's a little concerning. Uh, you know, I think Bryce Young, you know, being under six foot, obviously, even being under 5'11", you know, that's it's it's a little bit of a concern. And I'm shocked that somebody like Frank Reich, you know, would go with somebody uh, like Bryce Young instead of, of C.J. Stroud. You know, he's the bigger quarterback. We've seen him with. Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, both in Philadelphia and Indianapolis, uh, we've seen him with, with Matt Ryan, um, and you know C.J. Stroud could have been mm-hmm. their pick, but I think the organization has has more power here over uh, Frank Reich, and that's what we talked about with uh, with Mario Washington in this interview. And but it sounds like it sounds like the Panthers. And the Texans both are more interested in Bryce Young than CJ CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Sounds like Bryce Young is the number one quarterback in this year's draft. Um, you know, could they could they go with uh, could they go with CJ Stroud? Maybe, but it looks like Bryce Young is the guy. And maybe even the Texans, you know, pass up on on CJ Stroud. Maybe he falls to the Colts at number four. I hope so. Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are you guys surprised that um, Anthony Richardson's not getting a little bit more um, traction as maybe a one or two pick? I mean, he's super athletic, yeah. reminds yeah. a lot of people, including myself, of Josh Allen. And we all know how that turned out. So what are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson? I'm surprised he's not being talked about more, to be completely honest. I well, think He's just trying
1: to getting- ball over a lot in, uh, in Florida. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of his highlights. You know, he hasn't been the best. At, at decision making and the best at, at turnovers, uh, you know, keeping the ball in place. Obviously, with Florida, so you know, got it. You know, he's got to translate that to the NFL. But you know, you never know. I don't think he's. I, I think he's going to fall a little bit. You know, probably going to fall past the Colts. Probably going to. You know, could fall mm-hmm. to a team like let's say. You know, let's say Detroit. Even they might take a quarterback, but I think they're good. They're good with, you know, Jared Goff. Maybe even the Raiders. That's a team 50, that Anthony Richardson can fall to.
2: Fifty-three point yeah, eight
1: percent completion. I rate think
2: in that's Florida.
0: No, just, I'm just, i just saying he had a fifty-three point eight percent completion rating in Florida. Josh Allen, though, like I said, also was not the best. uh didn't have the best completion rating in college either. And like I said, we all know how he turned out. So I think he's actually going to be one of the best players to come out of this draft. That's just kind of my hot take. But, uh, you know, I, I think Bryce Young and CJ Stroud obviously have a lot of potential as well. And so does Will Levis. But I think Anthony Richardson is going to end up being a name that's going to really be turning heads and surprising people once he starts playing here in the fall.
2: I think think Anthony Richardson could end up up being the the best player in the NFL NFL, within two or three years. That's his upside. But I think it's a significantly different situation than what we saw with Josh Allen because Josh Allen was at Wyoming. He may not have played against the best talent, but he didn't play with the best talent. Anthony Richardson has four and five-star guys in Florida and was completing 54% of his passes, plus he's started less than 20 games throughout his career. Guys that don't have a ton of starting experience don't tend to pan out very well in the NFL. So I think that's something worth considering as well. He's got all the physical tools, but don't fall in love with him just because he had a great combine. Like I don't care what guys look like in T-shirts and shorts. I want to see what they look like on the field. I think Anthony Richardson has all the talent in the world. If he can put it together, then he might end up being the best player out of this draft, but I think that – Somebody's going to have to take a chance on it, but it's going to have to be a team like the Raiders or a team like the Lions. Maybe somebody with a little bit of a stable organization. I wouldn't want him being the number one or two pick in this draft.
0: Yeah, I uh, like you said, Zach. Carolina Panthers definitely were not completely out of it last year. I mean, I think people thought they played a lot worse than they actually did. They Picked it up at the end of the season. Got some wins at the end of the season. Got some momentum going into next year. I think if they get the quarterback situation figured out, maybe you know get a couple of uh, nice cornerbacks as well, a linebacker, as we're going to talk about with Mar- uh, Mario Washington. I think they win the NFC South. Uh, I, you know, I, there's no other real team that I can see competing against them, and I, I do think they make the playoffs next year uh, with with the rookie quarterback, and it'll, it'll be exciting to see. Let's stay in Charlotte with the Hornets. Uh, finished third to last uh, in 28th in the end of the season power rankings in the NBA. Missed the playoffs, obviously. Had the second to worst record in the NBA this year. Um, This is their seventh season without a playoff berth. Where do you guys see the Hornets going from here? I mean, it's been just, I think I said with Mario, it's been 10 years that they, in the last 10 years, I think they've only had, three seasons where they actually were above 500 in win percentage. What do they have to do to get out of this position? I mean, one, keep LaMelo, LaMelo Ball, but I think they just need another star to
1: go with LaMelo Ball, really, is what they need. Yeah, another star and hopefully more draft picks, obviously. They, they need to draft better, you know, hopefully in the top 10 for the for the Hornets. Hopefully they can get, you know, one of these guys coming out in the NBA draft.
0: But LaMelo Ball, uh, only player in the league who averaged 23 points, eight assists, and three three three-pointers a game, only player in the league, like I said, to do that. Uh, He was getting healthy towards the end of the year, finally, and he's showing a lot of promise coming in the next season. I think he's excited to play. The locker room loves him. The city loves him. Um, I mean, we just know they lost Bridges for uh the beginning of the season next year for his role in domestic violence so they might start off the season a little bit slow we don't know who they're going to get in the draft really but like i said i love steve clifford uh the head coach super detail oriented highly respected among all the coaches in the league um you know it's hard for any coach to get credit when he's thrown into such a young team and a team that's in a rebuilding stage. But I really wouldn't be surprised if Steve, Steve Clifford is going to be a Coach of the Year candidate in a year or two because I think he really is good. He just doesn't have the tools that he needs to show that.
2: Yeah, Michael Jordan. Uh, not quite the same owner as he was a basketball player. Maybe he needs to sell the team. That's been uh, a longstanding rumor. But I mean, it really does come to Lamelo. Can he be effective? Can he be healthy? Because the roster is not bad. I mean, you got Kelly Oubre. You got uh, Terry Rozier. You got guys that can play. But if you don't have your point guard, then you're a rudderless ship. And that's kind of what the Hornets have been these last couple of years. They need another franchise changing guy. You know, finishing third to last in these, they should be able to go up and get a franchise guy. Maybe somebody like Brandon Miller. You know, they're not completely out of the wind beyond the sweepstakes. If they get him, then obviously it's a game changer, but they're gonna need one of those Uh, high draft picks and luckily for them it's a pretty good year for overseas prospects I think three of the top five guys are overseas so in some ways you don't know what to expect but the Hornets are one of those organizations that I just it's hard to get excited about them because they really haven't it's not that they're not good it's they really haven't been relevant they have potential
0: I mean they're a team that hasn't been relevant and they're also in a very low market well Mm mid-market but yeah they they just haven't been winning and it's, they're just in the limbo, a limbo. This uh, the last 10, 15 years, they've just been this team that isn't playing bad enough to get the number one pick, but isn't playing good enough to get them to the playoffs either. And it's like the purgatory zone, like I always call it in, in the NBA, which is so, you know, disastrous to get to and to find yourself in. So, but yeah, I mean, twelve, twelve and a half percent chance to get the number one overall pick uh, heading into the draft this year. Uh, you know, just. uh, just underneath the first place teams that are at 14%. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Zach, if they get with that on a, that'd be a completely different story. Um, But I'm excited for the starting center, Mark Williams, though. He's a player that people really don't talk about too much. I mean, he had 11 double doubles in 44 games last season. Uh, He just earned himself a three-year, $50 million contract with the the Hornets. Uh, They definitely believe in him and I, I think he's another name that might come out next year as a player that people actually start talking about though. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they might not get the number one overall pick, but Hornets definitely have a good history of picking well in the second round. I mean, their most recent example is Bryce McGowan's. Um, he's been showing some amazing improvement this year in the off season. I think they picked him a couple of years ago. Um, And so I'm excited to see not just with the first one, what they do, but if they can actually finally pick a a player that can produce in the second round and not just be, you know, shipped back and forth between the G league and the, and the, nba you know 27 times in the season like we're so typical of seeing with the with the hornets but yeah we'll, we'll let mario talk more we have an amazing interview with him coming up uh jason ross will we will have we'll talk to him first uh with the sacramento kings and just give us a preview into the kings uh, playoff push here uh, we, we interviewed him prior to the playoffs beginning um but you know he's going to talk about why the kings are going to beat the warriors and uh, what they have to do to make a deep playoff run uh, this year in the playoffs. So without further ado, let's bring on Jason Ross. Okay, we now welcome on Jason Ross, the co-host of the Carmichael Dave Show with Jason Ross, 7 to 11, the specific time uh, on Sactown Sports 1140 and also Sacramento Kings broadcaster.
3: How you doing, Jason? I'm great, Jared. How are you?
0: Great. Yeah, well, let's get right into it. Uh, Playoffs start tomorrow, Saturday. Um, majority, of the, majority of people are picking the Warriors to beat the Kings in the first round of the playoffs. Why are they wrong in this uh, this, this prediction? <laughs>
3: uh, they may not be. I mean, obviously, the Kings are going to say they are, but uh, I get why they are. You got the defending champs. You got their pedigree. You've got a team that under Kerr with Clay and Steph and Draymond hasn't lost to a Western Conference team in 18 consecutive series, so... Um, I get it. I get why people have done that. Now the question is, can the Kings' first run at this be enough to take out the champs? So it's a huge, huge question.
0: Warriors, a very bad road team um, this year, probably one of the worst road teams in the the league. Is there concerns that the Warriors fans are going to be making the travel down to, or travel up to Golden 1 Center and kind of creating some quasi more home games for the Golden State uh, in the first round here.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's going to be plenty of Warrior fans in Sacramento, but there'll also be plenty of Sacramento Kings fans at the Chase Center in San Francisco. So I think that's one of the initial um, (coughs) storylines. I mean, these two teams have been in Sacramento's been here, the Kings, for 38 years, and they've never been in the playoffs the same time as the Warriors. And so now the first time it happens They're playing each other. So this is going to make for a unique Northern California rivalry separated by about 90 miles or so. And so it's easy for fans from each side to get there. Um, But I think both teams are ready for that. It kind of already happens in the regular season anyway when the Warriors are here and the Kings are down there. So it's just way more pressure, way more amplified. But I think both teams will feel like um, not that they're home, but that they're going to have some support in the other team's building. So we're expecting
0: the Kings fans to travel then.
3: Oh, oh yeah, wow. they'll def they'll definitely be there. There's actually a, an argument right now, Jared. That the ticket price is so out of whack right now in Sacramento um, that it's cheaper to get in right now in San Francisco, which is kind of the opposite of what normally happens. So I know there's Kings fans making efforts to get to games three and four as opposed to uh, how much it's costing to get into one and two.
0: Well, uh, Kings have the best, one of the best uh, road records in, in the league, not just the Western Conference, uh, but. It's uh, a little concerning. Warriors actually have not um, lost. So, excuse me, Warriors are 27 consecutive playoff series where they have won at least one road game. Uh, So that's something a little bit concerning for the Kings. Uh, We know that if they can at least squeak out one road game against the Kings, it's going to be a completely different story here uh, come uh, starting this weekend. Uh, It's a little interesting though, because this is one of those series where we don't, we don't really have a good preview on um, what to expect, despite the teams being in the same division. Uh, Three of the four matchups were early in the year where, when, you know, the Warriors were still having all their off the court issues. As we all know, the Kings were still getting their footing and the last game, uh, the fourth game was just played recently this last week and the Kings rested most of their players. So it's an interesting kind of idea that we don't, even despite them being in the same division, we really don't have a good preview of what to expect or a good footage for that matter of what to really expect.
3: I totally agree. I think this for playing four times, I almost feel like the pre the regular season matchups are relevant, um, the Warriors now consider themselves whole, or at least getting there, with Wiggins coming back in this series. The Kings' rotation was different. For example, Casey Okpala started the first time these two teams played. He's not even on the team anymore. I mean, he uh, Keegan Murray didn't play in the first game. Um, there's just different things that have changed for both franchises with the Kings and Warriors playing three times in the first 13 or 12 games. And the last one, like you said, they sat their players, which I think is also an interesting backdrop to this. I know the Kings won't publicly say it, but it almost makes you wonder by not playing their guys that night, last Friday night against the Warriors, it it made for a better chance that the Kings were going to play the Warriors. And I know they won't say they wanted them, but it kind of gives that feel that they wanted to play them. So um, yeah, I I think the four matchups are kind of irrelevant going into this, but uh, I know they're studying all that film. Mike Brown's got a ton of knowledge of his former team and uh, they both claim to be ready. Let's put it that way. Let's talk about that.
0: Mike Brown, obviously the associate head coach under Kerr, under Kerr for the last six years before he went to the Kings this year. What, how, big of a, how big of a benefit is this going to be to the Kings, or do you think Kerr is going to really uh, change up his game plan in order to not really allow any uh, back knowledge for, for Brown
3: here? Well, I think there's got to be some sort of advantage. I don't know how to quantify it. I mean, I still think mm-hmm. it ends up going down to the players on the court. But um, the fact that Coach Brown, actually Coach Lauks and Coach Barbosa were all in Golden State now here with the Kings, they just have more intimate knowledge of the players and their tendencies that they can share with the Kings. I think that's a huge benefit. But Um, You know, I I think at this point, everybody knows everybody. They're so locked in with a week's worth of preparation on what each team does, how they want to defend pick and roll and dribble handoffs. And I think after about game two of a series, kind of the switching around is done. I I think it's hey, our best against your best kind of mentality and whoever can execute that better. But I think there'll be some tweaks early on. And I don't think it hurts the Kings that Brown has that knowledge, but I don't know how much of an overall factor that'll be.
0: What do you think is the biggest... Uh, game plan that the Kings can have this, uh, going into this series against the Warriors?
3: One of the strange things they're saying, Jared, is they the Kings have a good pace. They have the number one offense. Mm-hmm. They want to play faster and even, even more deliberate than they've ever been offensively. So if they can maintain that pace uh, for a consistent amount of time, that's going to be a real challenge for the Warriors. Obviously, the more the Kings score the, um, or get stops, the less the Warriors get in their set defense. The other part I think that'll be really critical for the Kings the Warriors, as great of a passing team and ball movement and cutting that they are, they are also number one in turnovers. So when they turn it over, the Kings have to make him pay. They have to turn that into points. The game last Friday when they uh, played against the Warriors with that the Kings' backups basically, Warriors threw the ball all over the place. I think it was twenty-four turnovers, but I want to say Jared the first fourteen might have resulted in two points. So I mean, if you're if they're turning it over, you've got to make him pay. And I think with Fox, Sabonis, Herder, those guys. That's what they're going to try to do as a game plan. When the Warriors turn it over, uh, score as many times as they can. It's interesting that you say pacing, and I
0: thought that might be what you say is one of the key factors that uh, Kings can have going into this weekend. Kings average the third most transition possessions per game in the NBA this year. Uh, as you said, they have the best offense in the league as well. I think their uh, offensive net rating is like one hundred and eighteen point three. Of you know, so definitely the greatest offense in the league they they do play at an extremely fast pace and get get teams to turn the ball over uh pretty frequently too so yeah that's um and that's one of the things that warriors struggle with so it's kind of one of those the, the kings best asset is actually the warriors biggest Achilles heel so it'll be interesting to see it. and even with those in mind it's surprising that so many people are actually picking the warriors to come away with this um how how worried are people about Wiggins coming back, though? I mean, he hasn't played a game since Valentine's Day, only played 37 games this year. But last playoffs, he was pretty explosive. And I think people are expecting him to come back to that form once again. So w- what are the fans saying about Wiggins? Are they concerned about him coming back or is it just another number for the Warriors?
3: I think they're concerned if he's the postseason Wiggins from last year. I mean, in the, in the finals against Boston, he was great. All the way, The run up through, he was great. And he's... Had to guard guys last year like Tatum and Brown to John Morant to um, Luca, And here he would probably guard Fox to Keegan Murray. Like he he can cover so many different kinds of players. So that's his ability. And then also score. And he's a thoroughbred, just never seems to get tired. So I think there's the rest, the rust kind of element. Will they be out of rhythm? I think is some of the questions. But if he is back to that form, I mean, that's the vintage Warriors. That's the best version of them. And if they can sprinkle him in with Gary Payton, GP2, um, kind of defensively to go with all the shooting they have, I mean, that's that's why some people think not only can they beat the Kings, but they can go all the way through this and, and get back to where they were before. So it's kind of like it, the best version of the Warriors, we've seen it. That's a championship team. So I think that's why a lot of people think with a healthy Wiggins playing right that they could do a lot of damage.
0: How excited, how excited are the fans to see DeAndre uh, Fox in his first playoff series? <laughs>
3: It's beyond um, yeah, it's beyond um comprehension how crazy the Kings fans are for this. I mean, when they clinched in Portland, we were up there uh for Kings Blazers, come home and there's I mean, there weren't thousands of fans, but a couple hundred fans at the airport waiting past midnight for the Kings just to return. Um tickets have been going like crazy. And then De'Aaron, I'm personally very excited because I think he's been built for this moment. I think what separated him uh, or other guys from him that have already been around the league and been in the playoffs, like, um, let's see, Jamal Murray, Jason Tatum, guys, D- Donovan Mitchell, guys that have been able to shine still early in their career. They've had great postseason moments. De'Aaron hasn't been there yet. I think in the NCAA tournament, his only year, he was great. Uh, he was, he's was he been at big moments this year and in other years, and he's shined, but he hasn't been in the playoff moments. So I think I think he's made for this. I think he's going to be one of those guys that, If you don't know about him for whatever reason, people are really going to be aware of how good he is.
1: I want
0: to talk about Sabonis. Um, I think Sabonis is an underlooked big in the league. Uh, He plays very well for the Kings. Uh, His play style, I think, matches with the Kings very well. He has a really fast style of play. Uh, He's really good at passing, and we all know that the Kings have some really good shooters. And so I think with Sabonis and his style of play, it really helps spread the the floor around for the Kings, which helps get open shots. And, you know, the Kings have both starters and bench players that can make those open shots. So, I mean, is Sabonis an underrated player, do you think? Do you think he's kind of a a player that, uh, if, if in a bigger market team than Sacramento, he would be having a lot more recognition than he does now?
3: Uh, maybe he's also in, in a weird spot of timing in the league, because I think by all accounts, what we're hearing out here is he might finish fifth in the MVP. So, I mean, that's that's great recognition. I think he's going to end up uh, all NBA, but third team. but he's behind Embiid and Jokic, who might finish one, two in the MVP voting. So he's trailing two incredible centers, but he really is kind of doing a lot of the things those guys do just here in Sacramento. And the Kings changed their offense around him. Um, he's made Herter better. He's made Monk better. He's made Fox better. He's made Keegan Murray better. He he makes people better. And I think he's a great competitor. I think the whole season swung on when he got hurt against Denver in December. And a lot of people thought, oh, no, broken thumb. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. This season's done. He missed one game. So he came back and played, and he's played about a month and a half with a broken thumb. He's tough. He's durable. He's reliable. And I would say this, Jared, this might be another kind of swing point to the series is imagine a shot going up by the Warriors, like a 50-50 ball between Sabonis and Kevon Looney. Looney's a great offensive rebounder, and he's got to crash the boards to do damage against the Kings. If Sabonis wins that rebound and gets, he's going to turn and go. I mean, he is going to be his own fast break and start. So now he's likely ahead of Looney and putting so much pressure on the defense. Or conversely, if Looney gets that rebound, Sabonis is probably vulnerable, second chance opportunity for the Warriors. So I think one of the things to watch is do the Warriors stay aggressive with their offensive rebounding with a guy like Looney and Draymond Green? Or do they play Draymond Green at the five and flood the floor with shooters like DiVincenzo, Poole, Clay, and Steph? So a couple of strategy things to watch, but Sabonis is the kind of guy that puts pressure on every team because of his ability to rebound, be his own fast break, and then run that offense to a teak.
0: Yeah, I think Looney had the most offensive rebounds in the league this year. I I might be wrong on that, but I I believe that's what I read earlier. Mm-hmm. Um and I know I've also did hear the rhetoric about having both Looney and Green on the on the court at the same time. But I think a lot of people are concerned about just the offensive production that they're going to lose if they have both of those bigs on uh cuz you know, Green best defensive player in the league, but is not known for his scoring. So I, I know that's definitely a reason that would help Kerr to do that is to have both of those guys on, on the field at the same time. But, um, yeah, so bonus though, like you said, I mean, definitely, uh, a player that deserves MVP voting. I actually didn't know that he was top five. It's kind of funny how once you're not, you know, if you're not the top three and yeah. you're, you're nobody <laughs> for, the, for the MVP, <laughs> which isn't true of course, but that's just kind of how people think with the whole process. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sabonis also just like I said I want I'm going to go back to his passing too just uh has the most uh dribble handoff passes uh this year with above 600 and the reason the reason that's important again just with the Kings' fast-style play is that it really allows some bad matchups for the opposing teams right. and a lot of the times these offensive players you know like Fox, Murray, they can get some really good matchups uh and really make some teams uncomfortable. Um let's talk about the uh the uh, experience factor though do you do you believe in the experience factor uh going like in the playoffs do you think that really matters or do you think that's something that's kind of blown up out of proportion a little bit
3: i think people will will frame it into the narrative if if the warriors win that was the reason why maybe the kings weren't ready and is that factual i, I think that's in part impossible to to separate but i have noticed before i'll go back to 2002 when the kings and lakers were playing in the conference finals and it was the first conference finals for the Kings, and it was the Lakers. I think third in a row, and it was only Game One. But I felt like the first half, or at least the first quarter of Game One, the Kings weren't kind of ready for what that meant, what that expe- you know, what to expect. And as the game went along, they were in it, they figured it out, but they started down eight to ten points and never caught caught them that game. And then Game Two, Three, Four, like they were ready. They, it's almost like they wasted the first half of the first game. And I don't think in these series you can waste any time, any moments, any, you know, any 50-50 game. If you're the you know, the Kings with the three seed, but I still feel like they're the underdog. If, if there's a game that's either way, they've got to win it. Um, there might be a game where the Warriors just shoot lights out and you probably couldn't beat them that day. And vice versa, maybe the Kings have a 60% shooting day, knock down 18 threes, and they would have beat everybody in the league. But if there's those games that are, which a lot of playoff games are, four minutes to go, one possession either way, you got to find ways to win, and that's where I think the experience. I mean, Steph's been in Boston, in Cleveland, against LeBron, against Dallas on the road. I mean, Memphis they, at home—they've been in all of those situations. I don't think the Kings will shrink from the moment. They just haven't been in those. So I would rather have the experience. I, I would give that edge to the Warriors for sure.
0: The fifteen-man roster for the Warriors have played a combined eight hundred and seventeen playoff games. Uh, do you know how many combined playoff games with the Kings? I don't.
3: I'm going to guess, but 30? 183. Oh, better. I was way off. Okay. Uh,
0: better, but that's still a you know, 600 and under, just under 650 game differential.
3: Yeah. Uh, and not, to slide any, not to slide anybody, but that might be Dell of in the four years. You know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. role players. I mean, it's not the, yep. the starting five with all this, all this reps. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as we head off here, I want to ask
0: you this. So the fans perspective, are they, what, what are they thinking if they get past the Warriors? I mean, the Western Conference is very interesting this year, as we all know. Are they are they just like, hey, let's just get past the Warriors and it actually might be our toughest test in the whole Western Conference? Or are they just playing it uh, series by series? But what, what are the fans thinking in this regard?
3: I think fans are all over the board because I think uh, as the last couple of days were winding down, there was a chance for the Kings to play the Pelicans, the Clippers, the Warriors or the Lakers. And we would get a lot of calls into our station saying, oh my gosh, I, it can't be the Lakers. I don't want to lose to the Lakers. Oh, it can't be the Warriors. I don't want to lose to the Warriors. But then people would call up after that and say, oh, there'd be nothing better than beating the Warriors or nothing better than beating the Lakers. So I feel like so many of have been beaten down by past failures from the Kings. They think of it in a negative way. But there's also others that have called and said, look, imagine if the Kings beat the Warriors and somehow the Lakers beat Memphis. You're not even leaving the state. And then if you even dream farther, is there a chance that the Clippers make it through on the other side of the bracket? The Kings could have a California tour. I doubt all that will happen. They really have to just worry about the Warriors. But I I think for not being in the playoffs for uh, 16 seasons, 17 total years. Um, everybody's just delirious that they're there. And I don't want to say it's house money, but if they were to lose, no one feels like this is a one and done. They feel like they're building something and they've got more years to go. So, um, I, I just think everybody's enjoying the ride right now.
0: That's a good point. So fans, this isn't, fans are not putting all their eggs in one basket this season. They're hopeful for next season as well, which is good to hear. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mike Brown, I think yesterday, just won coach of the year, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, If I'm not mistaken. So yeah, definitely a lot to build on. Uh, we have a lot of young players plus veteran players as well. That can really help, uh, take them along and really get them to really want to be. Um, so, well, Jason, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Kings in the playoffs. Uh, no, not lying. They are probably my most, uh, exciting team to watch especially in the western conference this year uh in the playoffs especially given just how tumultuous the west is and how any team really can win the west so i'll definitely be watching them uh and i, I really hope they can uh make it to june here <laughs>
3: so. i would love it well thank you jared it's gonna be fun and yeah i'd love to do it again
0: all right jason ross from 1140 uh, uh S- Town sports 11- 1140 Co host of the Carmichael Dave Show with Jason Ross. All right, Jason, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Okay, that was Jason Ross from Sacktown Sports in California. We now head all the way over to the East Coast and talk to Mario Washington from ESPN 730, The Game in Charlotte. All right, we now welcome on Mario Washington, uh, general manager of. ESPN seven thirty the game in Charlotte Mario how are you doing today doing great how are you guys doing good well love to have you on we really appreciate your time and let's get right to it Carolina Panthers uh, seven and ten last season uh, not the greatest had a bit higher expectations than that going into the season but then we had some quarterback issues and then uh, other issues came to came to be as well L- let's talk about the quarterback first though that's that's what I'm, that's what's on everyone's mind with Carolina we know that they pick first. For now, they pick first in the draft coming up. Um what don't put me through what the fans are thinking who they want as a quarterback. Not really what the front office is saying, but what are the fans saying? Who do they want as a quarterback in the first round?
4: So it's 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 a little bit tough uh because uh for the most part, I think that the fans were interested in either one of the top two prospects, CJ Stroud and uh Bryce Young. Uh most of us in the media. Uh, fell in love with uh, C.J. Stroud. Um, and this was prior to the Panthers even drafting, I mean, uh, trading for the number one pick. When they traded for the number one pick, you look at the history of Frank Wright, you thought big quarterback, guy that can swing it around. This is the only types of guys that he's worked at at the position. Uh, but we quickly found out that there was uh, some trepidation with 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 the pick being CJ Stroud. I think Frank Wright wants CJ Stroud, but it looks like other people in the front office, and by other people, I mean the guy who signs the checks, uh, wants Bryce Young, and I think that's where we're headed. I don't think that any of the fans really wanted Anthony Richardson or or, or Will Levis, uh, but it seems that everybody wanted one of the two guys. It seems to be a little bit mixed bag, but I can tell you for us in the media, we think that it's a little bit of a mistake if they decide to take Bryce Young just because of the size, and we're pretty confident right now that it's going to be Bryce Young.
2: Yeah, as an Ohio State fan and as a Colts fan, <laughs> yes, my worlds are colliding with C.J. Stroud and Frank Bright, but I guess my question is you're seeing now that basically they've canceled beatings or Bryce Young's canceled beatings with everybody except the Panthers, so it seems like he's going to end up being the pick. Like, outside of his size, what's the trepidation about Bryce Young, this is his accuracy high. He's obviously played at a winning program before with Alabama. Is it just because he's six foot tall? Where we've seen other quarterbacks with similar stature be successful? Like what's the fan base's thoughts on
4: Bryce Young in general? So that's the thing. He's he's not even six feet tall. He's he's five foot ten and what like a buck ninety or something like that. Like he's a little dude. And the comp to me is Kyler Murray. Now, when people call in, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a good bit of Alabama fans in this area. And when people call in, they talk about how much he won at Alabama, how good he was at Alabama. Well, I mean, that's that's basically an NFL team playing against college teams. So it's a little bit difficult to say, Like because I, I don't think that he's going to have difficulty uh, transitioning to the pro game. I think that he has the arm talent. Uh, he knows how to escape. Uh, when trouble is there, uh getting drafted into Carolina, there's a pretty decent line that'll that'll be in front of him. Uh so I don't I don't think that's the issue, but as we saw with Kyler Murray so far in his career, because and Kyler Murray is much more athletic, much more athletic build than Bryce Young. It's it's not the college game. And you're talking about with the types of uh the bodies that are going to be landing on top of him. I just worry about whether or not he can play a full season in the NFL. But, you know, the talent is there. I'm not not at all dismissing the talent. I mean, his ability to download information might even be better than C.J. Stroud. I just think that the complete package of C.J. Stroud is is better than Bryce Young is. I totally
2: agree with you, obviously, as an Ohio State fan. And by the way, uh, can we make sure that Bryce Young just doesn't play Call of Duty regularly like how Murray seems to be? No no clause in his contract about studying film. I don't <laughs> think Nick Saban
4: would allow that. Yeah, we, we haven't heard much about that. But, you know, uh, you know, guys guys coming into the NFL, I'm sure that all of them are playing a lot of video games. So <laughs> I'm sure right. that he plays a little bit. But he, he seems to play, to play the part of a professional quarterback. And I know that at least what I'm hearing out of the front office is that uh, uh, Tepper likes the fact that, and I do believe this, uh, when it comes to star appeal, I think he 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 outshines CJ in that in that's in that sense because CJ doesn't seem to talk as much a little bit more of a quiet leader and and Bryce you know we've seen him in a lot of commercials and stuff ever since he won the Heisman so I think that that's what's appealing to David Tepper because David Tepper wants to put Fannies in seats a little bit more than Frank Wright because Frank Wright wants to win games and I think that CJ Stroud gives you the best chance to win games honestly.
0: Any uh talk about the Panthers maybe trading down some? Because I think yeah. uh, CJ Stroud can definitely be available, even maybe five or four, uh, according to current draft boards. I mean, it'll be hard. It'll be a gamble. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, any any plan on maybe recouping some of the losses they had with uh, the current uh, trade they uh, just made
4: with Chicago, or maybe getting some of those draft picks back and trading up some or trading down some? So what we've been told is that that was a possibility. But when they got ready to move up, they were trying to get to number three or number two, apparently. And, you know, the the owner of the team decided, you know, if you're going to trade up that high, you might as well go up to number one. I don't foresee them moving down, even though there's been smoke screen about that. But, you know, doing this as long as I've been doing it, uh, the one thing that I noticed is that when, when, when the calendar turns to March, and You talk to people in the NFL they start lying and and they use people like us to put the lie out there just to give a smoke screen just in case something might happen because somebody may come in and and blow their socks off with the with an offer um so I think that they wanted to see uh when that when that rumor started flowing around it's just like the the Anthony Richardson rumor. Uh, and, and the fact that they used Thomas Davis for the Anthony uh, Richardson uh, rumor, <laughs> like, uh, because I, I, you know, knowing Thomas as long as we've known him, there's no way that he didn't actually hear that. Um, but I think that they they used him knowing that he was going to be on television and, and say it, just in case somebody out there wants him and they might make an offer to come up to, to get him. But I, I, I believe that it was Bryce all along. We just didn't know it was Bryce. And this, uh, you know, I think it was this weekend when somebody uh, discovered that uh, uh, McCown who was going to be the quarterback's coach here under Frank Reich uh, was following only one player on Instagram that's in the draft. And it was Bryce Young. And then when somebody pointed it out, he then follows all the other right. quarterback prospects. So I think I think that it was Bryce all along because we were we were wondering if these guys were idiots trading up for the number one pick, not knowing who it is that that they want to take. But I'm I'm pretty confident that it was Bryce all along.
2: It's pretty yes. just like every other team now that the players these days, they take all their stuff out of their Instagram bios. That's how you know they want to trade, <laughs> like uh, Buddha Baker did the other day. But yeah. my question is, going back to the trade, were you surprised that it didn't seem like as massive of a haul as maybe we're used to for teams trading up to get the number one pick? Because it was a couple draft picks and it was DJ Moore, where typically, like in the past, if you wanted to trade up for a guy like Andrew Buck or Joe Burrow, you basically had to sell – basically your entire franchise and the Panthers
4: yeah. didn't really have to do that well uh, what what i heard was that and, and again like you know like you hear all this stuff i don't know how true any of this stuff is but what but what i heard and i'm pretty confident in is that the only reason why they didn't have have to give up another number one was because they wanted the bears wanted one of three players dj moore was one uh the other was uh brian burns and uh i, I can't remember who the other one was um off the top of my head right now, but uh, they they were definitely not. No, yeah, uh, uh, Derrick Brown was the other one. They were definitely not like giving up DJ Burns because of uh, uh, DJ Burns. Uh, uh,
0: More.
4: <laughs> Brian Burns is the, <laughs> DJ Burns plays basketball for NC State and and he went to Winthrop. And I'm thinking about all that now, guys. I went to Winthrop too, but anyway, uh, uh, the uh, they, they, it was Brian Burns, uh, Derrick Brown, and DJ Moore. The Bears need a number one wide receiver, so they were willing to take D.J. Moore. But it was a lot, you know, Uh, the the, the one thing that the Panthers wanted to make sure they held on to was that second round pick, the first second round pick uh, that they had, uh, because that's where they're intending on uh, picking up another uh, starting player. Uh, So uh, I I think that if if you didn't include D.J. Moore, then it would have seemed like it was a lot more because it would have been another uh, uh, number one draft pick included.
0: Let's talk about the wide receiver position though for the uh, for the Panthers. Uh you just said DJ Moore left with the with the rumor with the uh Chicago. But is this a concern for the Panthers now? Because they're gonna bring in a new quarterback. I mean, they the number one pick is definitely gonna be a new quarterback, but they don't really have wide receivers on the team for him to throw to. So right. is this a concern? I mean, they have Ter Terese Marshall, Shy Smith, Leviska Shannard Jr. I mean, you in Carolina might know those names, but they, the national fans don't know those names, no offense. So that's a big concern, isn't it? Them drafting a new quarterback, in the you know, number one overall pick, but they really don't have anyone to throw to.
4: Well, they went out and added uh, Adam Thielen, veteran receiver out of uh, Minnesota. And they also added uh, uh, just the other day, uh, uh, Demir Bird, who, who used to play for the Carolina Panthers, uh, which tells us that uh, – you know, uh, if, if anybody around here has anything terribly important to say to Sean Smith, uh, they, they might want to say it now because I, you know, bird kind of does the same stuff that, that Sean Smith, uh, really has not done, uh, in his career with the uh, Carolina Panthers, but that is a big concern. They, uh, I don't think that dealing is a number one wide receiver at this mm-hmm. point in his career, but he's a, he's a, he's a decent player that, uh, a young quarterback will be able to uh, rely on. They also brought in a, a Hayden Hurst tight end uh, because they really didn't have a pass catching tight end. I think that's something that they are also going to try to address in the in the draft in the later rounds, as well as uh, what they might end up doing with the uh, with that 39th pick in the second round. They 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 they've, they've been looking at a lot of uh, uh, top flight wide receivers. This is a, a wide receiver heavy draft, uh, so they may be able to get a number one out of uh, the crop that falls uh, to the second round. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, a major concern mm-hmm. uh, for the Carolina Panthers going into this uh, draft. They added
2: saw... Shark, too,
4: didn't
0: they?
4: Yeah, they added Shark, too, as well, yeah. That's right.
0: I heard some rumors about DeAndre
4: Hopkins, maybe? Yeah. Is, it, yeah, is okay, that true? Well, he's from the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's from, uh, you know, down in uh, uh, the western part of South Carolina. And, uh, you know, there's that. I think that's a little bit of a dream. For uh fans um I don't know if that's gonna happen. I think at this point in his career, he's chasing a championship, and when you're talking about bringing in a rookie quarterback, it's gonna be tough to win a title uh, as he's getting up in age so i don't I don't think that's gonna happen, but you know you never yeah. know you guys Char- go home
0: Carolina would have to give up at least a second round pick to do that uh with other things as well not to mention hopkins contract next year is going to be 19 right. plus million which is going to hurt carolina's cap absolutely big time and like you said too what's really the ceiling with the rookie quarterback even with someone like deandre hopkins so I, it might not be in their best interest um let's talk about uh the second round picks for the carolina though i know you were alluding to it just a little bit ago 39 addition to the first overall pick they have 39 as well mm-hmm. uh wh- what do they pick with this is it, a, so, I, I think, a linebacker and a quarterback, I think, is what I saw that they desperately need right now?
4: It's more of a, maybe of a defense. Right. Yeah. yeah, so uh, a lot of people are pushing for a linebacker. Um, I I think that you have to build the offense first, though. So I, I see them in particular because there's going to be so many wide receivers that are going to be available at that spot. Uh, one guy that I think that may end up falling to them is uh, Jalen Hyatt who uh uh played at Tennessee but he's from Columbia South Carolina. Um I saw him play in high school uh and and, and a lot of people are kind of clamoring for him to fall. I don't know if he's going to be available at that point but I think that there's there's several wide receivers that probably have a first round grade that won't go in the first round. Uh so I, I I think it's going to be wide receiver uh if it's not then linebacker is probably uh, the, the next best thing because uh, they need an interior linebacker uh, on the seam. Uh You know, this, this scene for years has has had like great middle linebackers uh, go back. Uh, obviously Luke Keekly prior to that, John Beeson, Dan Morgan, if you want to go back even further um, and, and as uh, something that that is a need and they also need, they also need a, uh, another edge rusher, uh, to go on the opposite side of uh of Brian Burns. I think that uh their 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 anticipation is for Burns to put up big big sack numbers next year, but I don't think that happens if you don't put somebody on the other side. So uh one of those three spots I think is where they'll go in the uh, Assuming uh, Assuming either
2: Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, whoever they pick, turns out to be what they think. What are the expectations for this team next year? Because you're in an NFC South where the Bucks won it last year at eight and nine, but they're starting Kyle Trask not quarterback. The Saints got Derek Carr. Uh, they're probably going to be good. The Falcons, we don't know what they are like. Is the playoffs next year a realistic scenario
4: for this team? Because I think it is. I think everybody over at Bank of America Stadium thinks that. I think that they think that they can win uh, the division. Uh, the team to me going into this offseason now uh is 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 definitely uh the New Orleans Saints just because they have the quarterback and 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 I think that I, what they've surrounded Derrick Carr with uh with you know Alave and uh you know guys like that there's a lot of weapons on that offense so they should be the favorites coming into the season I mean it's not like people are going to pick a rookie quarterback to uh to to be the the favorite in the NFC South, but it's for the taking. I think that when you take a look at top to bottom roster, Panthers roster is not, not all that bad. And I mean, you know, I think that it's easy to, it will be easy to put them at second or third uh, behind New Orleans and maybe Tampa, depending on what Kyle Trask is is, is able to do at quarterback.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously the worst division, uh, last year, <laughs> in all the football, uh, so I, yeah, I I, I agree, uh, Zach, and with you, Mario. I, I think that they definitely have potential to make the playoffs this year. Uh, I mean, Sa- Saints would definitely be the only people, the only team that I really see being uh, in contention uh, against them when, when the division.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And then when you look at Atlanta with uh, uh, Desmond Ritter, like I mean, we don't we don't know what he's going to be able to do. In, in, in addition to that, he doesn't. Have a ton of weapons surrounding him. Uh, we don't know what that defense is going to be like, but all four of these teams are going to be competitive. Uh, but I, but I do think that the Panthers feel like they they could win the division and get to the playoffs this year.
0: Let me ask you this, for the fan perspective
4: is that is that all they ask for, or are they?
0: I mean, I, I can only imagine even even a first round outing next year would be the fans would be ecstatic. I can I can imagine yeah. after after this last year.
4: Yeah. I, I think this year definitely they 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 will be satisfied with a uh uh playoff appearance. Um you know it it, it this this fan base was was pretty upset uh that Tepper and company did not decide to keep Steve Wilkes As the head coach, when he was the interim coach, and he almost got the team to win the division uh, under dire circumstances when he took over uh, as a Charlotte boy, all of this type of stuff, and they they decided to move on. But if you do worse than what he was able to do under all of that animosity last season, then it looks like a failure. Uh, But I but I don't you know you don't hear a lot about that because I think that the fan base has been pretty pleased with the moves. They like to see action. And trading for the number one pick was a massive move. I mean, like, we talked about how that was the biggest move in the history of the franchise. Uh, It is something that this franchise has not done a lot of in terms of making a splash like that. So the fan base is, uh, is on their side right now. Now, if they get it wrong with this pick, which I think they might, and talk about a different
1: story. What do the fans think of the Frank Reich hiring down in Charlotte? Yeah.
4: So he, he he was of the candidates for the job. He was the one that everybody was okay with. I right, so, um, you know, like like I said, like the fan base definitely wanted them uh, to keep Steve Wilkes, and they were really upset with Frank uh, with the hiring of Frank, not with Frank uh, early on, and then when when Frank got here in his introductory press conference. Kind of went away. Um, uh, so the fans are, are really uh, liking Frank Wright and then the staff that he put together, bringing in Jim Caldwell as an advisor, bringing in McCown, bringing in uh Duke Staley, who played at South Carolina. Like, you know, they think that they're moving in the right direction right now. Uh, uh, hiring uh, can't remember his name right now, the uh, the, the, the uh, defensive coordinator from Denver, um, Vio, uh, hiring him, they they like these moves a ton and uh. So I I think that, you know, it remains to be seen because none of it really matters until you start getting some W's in the column. So uh, Mm -hmm. but but they're they're pretty pleased right now with the hire of Frank. Right. But they it was a safe hire, I think. And, um, you know, I I, I don't mind it, you know, you know, as 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 a fan myself, like I I thought it was uh, I thought it was a smart move, even though like I was also one of the people that thought that uh, Wilk should have maintained the job or at least get another opportunity to have an actual season without, you know, uh the uh excrement that was left over by Matt Rules. So.
0: <laughs> well Mario, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time and help with uh giving us some insight into the in the uh Panthers here as we move on to the next season. Let me ask you this uh, just real quick, uh real quickly. Uh, NBA uh playoffs just started. Uh yeah. it's only uh it's only a, um fair that I ask you about Charlotte. It's just <laughs> uh the Ho- uh, the Hornets here. Um, since, you know, the last 10 seasons, they've, I think they've had three seasons above 500. Um, I think that was in, I'm looking at it right now, 2013 season, um, uh, 2015 season. And then just last season as as well, even those seasons barely over 500, what, I mean, I don't want to ask you too general of a question here, but you know, what, what do they, what do they have to do here to get out of this? I mean, I, I mean. Do a process type of deal Like the Sixers did <laughs> I mean complete I mean I, I think they've been Doing that though And it doesn't seem to be working So what else do they have to do Where do they go from here
4: Yeah uh, So uh, You have to, you have to get lucky in the draft And they got lucky A couple of years ago With LaMelo Ball And I think You know obviously They're hoping that They end up getting Lucky again here uh, If they can somehow End up with the number one pick But uh, in this year's draft, uh, they can win the lottery. Um, but you know, I, I really, it's hard to say because you're not going to convince top flight free agents to come to this city, uh, some, some mid market city. Um, and when you, when you have a guy like Lamelo ball, who is a, who is a bona fide star, uh, last year could not stay on the floor, uh, dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, you know, I, I think that you have guys that want to play with him, but this is this is it for him. For him. If if he decides to leave, now, typically in the NBA, when you draft a guy, you got him for seven years, typically. But I don't know if that's going to be the case here because LaMelo Ball wants to win. And I think that he's the building block for this team. Now, there's also this rumor out there that Michael Jordan is going to be selling the franchise. Um, a lot of people are kind of want to see that happen which is odd because, you know, Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player to ever live and he owns this team. And, you know, a lot of people are clamoring to see something change there. So I to answer your question, I don't have the answer uh, because I, I just don't don't know what this team is going to have to do. I, I, I honestly don't think that Mitch Kupchak is the answer anymore as the general manager. Uh, he's not willing to take any risk uh, in, in terms of bringing in people. He brings in guys like, like a lot of people hated bringing in Gordon Hayward. And, 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 and while I like Gordon Hayward as a player, we don't get to see him a lot. You know, his, his uniform is the suit and he's, he's typically not available to play. And, you know, I think that stuff like that is, is the issue with the franchise. Uh, they have not been relevant. I can, I can honestly say we don't talk about them a lot uh, just because they, they just have not been relevant. and, uh, the city is definitely clamoring for them to at least be relevant. But, I mean, to not even be in the playing tournament this year, man, it's just was a lightluster season. And we love Steve Clifford. Love him. But, you know, when when you don't have your best players available, you're going to lose.
2: What's the breakdown down there? Is it like 99% Panthers talk, 1% Hornets talk, or is it like 95% out- Panthers talk and maybe so- – Talk about hockey a little bit. Like, what's it like down there? No,
4: we we talk uh, mostly Panthers, even in the all especially in the all season. And 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 what trumps the Hornets is college basketball in this area, and college football does as well. But college basketball is pretty huge, obviously. Um, Duke, Carolina, NC State, Wake. Uh, so it's a big deal here. So yeah, but it's it's primarily Panthers, you know.
0: So Charlotte currently has uh twelve and a half percent chance for their number one pick. Uh just just under San Antonio, Houston and Detroit that are tied at first at fourteen percent. Um I didn't know about uh them him selling the team though. Jordan potentially oh, selling yeah. the team. Is there what is the reason behind that? Just because of how they've been doing recently well, or what the,
4: the the reason is when you make an investment of a few hundred million dollars and you might be able to make two billion then yeah. You know, you might as well go ahead and sell the team. But again, it's a rumor. Like I, I, I and it, but it, the rumor came from Woj, if I'm not mistaken, and and we haven't heard anything about it on the ground. Um, so I, it's hard to say that it's true. But I can't see. I, I don't blame him if he does decide to move the team. I'm looking at Forbes right now. I, if this is correct, I
0: think he paid 175 million for him in 2010. Crazy. And now they're worth 1.7 billion. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely not, I mean, it's just under what a billion and a half, uh, right. <laughs> uh as a an increase there, but not not as good as the commanders recently, Oh recent no. news, but no, no, still no. very, <laughs> a, still a very good penny and a very good investment for, uh, for Jordan. So, but yeah, um, you know, hopefully the, hopefully the Hornets can get it together here. I would like to see the Hornets relevant. I like Lamelo ball, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's a free agent after next year, correct? Yes, exactly
4: right. Yeah. So, so is he,
0: I mean, know. does he leave if they don't? If next year is next year a test for him? If, if they don't get it together and maybe at yeah, least I, get above
4: 500, is he gone? I was, I would imagine so. Um, I think that the, I think the threshold has to be not the play-in tournament. I think they have to finish in the top six, and if they don't finish in the top six, they're probably going to lose the mellow ball.
0: All right, Mario, well, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time talking some Charlotte sports with us. And we'll have to have you on again sometime,
4: okay? Absolutely. Hit me up anytime. You guys continue the great work. All right, thanks. So this is Mario Washington, uh, general manager
0: of ESPN 730 The Game in Charlotte. Okay, we'll do this again sometime soon, okay? All right, appreciate it. All right, take care, man. All right, let's end the show with Off the Map and Long Hauls of the Week. Justin, who was your Off the Map of the Week?
1: My off the map of the week is Jalen Hurts, Eagles quarterback, just got a five-year extension worth $255 million, I believe $176 million guaranteed. What I'll say about Jalen Hurts is we didn't hear anything about him. We didn't hear anything from him or the agency that he represented, Clutch Sports, and the Philadelphia Eagles. There was no... There was no noise out of these negotiations compared to the Lamar Jackson. Maybe who knows what happens down the line with Joe Burrow and and um, Justin Herbert, you know. And so right now, I think the Philadelphia Eagles have their quarterback of the future. Obviously, if he can stay healthy, you know, they built around him. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is somebody that, you know, people should really be not just talking about the NFL MVP, but his character. And as well as his agency and his um, and, and the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously, you know, owner Jeffrey Lurie said they will be doing business for a long time. So my off the map of the week is the Jalen Hurts contract extension for five years, two hundred and fifty five million. That is right now the highest paid contract in the NFL. That's what I think people aren't
0: like. That's what I think people aren't expressing enough and talking about enough Just how it's the highest paid uh, salary. That's something I thought got blown under the went under the door a little bit. Uh especially now just like you said Justin with the whole Lamar Jackson drama that's going on. I don't think they really emphasized and made a big enough deal about it being the highest uh salary uh in history. And we all know Lamar Jackson has to be rolling around in his grave right now or not grave, but rolling just just rolling in general just with this contract uh jealousy and all that just yeah, because we all know the money that he wants, and if if you look at the comparison between what uh, they offered him, uh, Lamar Jackson, what they what, what Baltimore offered Lamar Jackson, and then what Jalen Hurts got, it's really not that much different of a contract. And so it also just puts that in perspective as well, just how Lamar Jackson might have just been a little bit too greedy and should have taken the deal when uh, it was presented to him. Who's your off the map of the week, Zach? Yeah,
2: yeah. Somebody check on Lamar Jackson, make sure he's still alive. I think he is. Oh, you might want to see about yeah. that. By the way, just a quick retort. I think uh, I think the two guys looking at their chops right now are Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow because they are about to get paid. Especially Joe Burrow, I think he's about to break sixty million dollars a year. <laughs> um, that's a My franchise that doesn't
0: play people often, though. They don't. I mean, that's it'll be interesting awesome to see because oh, they yeah. don't pay people often. Uh, the the uh, just Cincinnati in general, the Bengals franchise. They don't like spending a lot of money, so and
2: I think he'll get Chargers paid too. Don't pay, yeah. pay Joe. They don't yeah, pay absolutely. him. they will pay no one. Um, they so, have mine, to. so mine this week, and it just got passed a little bit ago. So college football now, the clock's going to run after first downs, just like in the NFL. That's one of the things that separated college football than the NFL. Was that the clock would stop. After they move the chains and then once the chains got moved, they restart the clock. No, the clock's just going to keep on going because college football has had an epidemic of games lasting over three and a half to four hours. And that's just too long for a football game. You see NFL games are a lot tidier, a lot quicker, two and a half hours, three hours at the most. I think that's a good thing for college football that we're going to get the clock continuing to run. So we're going to get less time and We're seeing it with baseball where it works with the pitch clock where games are now taking on average about two and a half hours. That's been very successful for baseball. I think we're starting to see that now for college football. I think this is a rule that should have been in place a long time ago. Like there was never a reason for the clock to stop. And I think now what you're going to see is less plays So I think you're going to see more upsets because the longer a game goes, the depth starts to become a factor. If the game is shorter then more underdogs have a chance to win some of these games. I think it's going to be a radical change for college football, but I think it's going to be a good change.
0: Just like baseball, shortening the games a little bit, following following the same trend.
2: Uh, I'm going to talk about
0: Kevin Looney. I know we alluded to him earlier in the opening of the show. Uh, I think he's been playing really well in the playoffs. I, Particularly off the map for me is just how the Draymond Green situation kind of overshadowed how well Kevin Looney is playing. Uh, You know, as I said, he we talked about earlier in the intro of the show, but he's been shutting down Sabonis pretty much just tremendously shutting down Sabonis and really limit his limiting his uh, offensive potential, especially when Draymond Green is not on the floor. I think it really just shows that the Warriors need to keep Looney and Draymond Green separate and all, one on the bench at a time and only one playing on the t- at a time because we, Game 3 showed how much more offense the Warriors can have when they fill that extra spot with another shooter. Uh, so I think that's the way going forward for the Dubs. And that's just something I think people aren't talking about enough. Just one, just how good Kevin Looney is playing. And then two, game three really opened up the eyes of how the Dubs should be playing going forward. And only having one of Kevin Looney and Draymond Green on the floor at one time. And then spreading the floor out more with shooters uh, to fill that extra spot. How about, uh, let's go to long hauls of the week. Uh, Justin, do your long haul of, of the week?
1: My long haul of the week are the quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft. I don't believe that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are legit top ten picks. I think teams are going to be reaching on quarterbacks. Obviously, you know we're looking at the Panthers, we're looking at the Titans. You know, Titans haven't traded. You know, didn't trade up, but the Colts as well you know obviously they need a quarterback and then the um the Texans who, who I was thinking about these are not top 10 picks i don't believe that Bryce Young has the size advantage i don't believe CJ Stroud is that good of a quarterback in this year's draft same with Anthony Richardson as we just talked about and Will Levis i think these guys need to sit on the bench for a year or two and you know even if they go in the top 10 if they don't go i think these guys are reaches in this draft.
0: How about you, Zach? Your long haul of the week.
2: My long haul of the week? Parody in the NBA playoffs, which is something that we almost never have. We always have a dominant team, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's the Lakers in years past. We don't have that this year. There is no dominant team. Almost anybody can win a championship. Like, do, How much do we really trust the Denver Nuggets right now? They've gotten off to a good start, but their playoff pass has not necessarily been all that great. Uh you look at a team like the Grizzlies or top of the Lakers. I think the Lakers are probably the favorites in that series now. And then even in the Eastern Conference, Giannis is out. So the Bucks might have been the one team that kind of fit the dominant bill.
1: They don't do that right
2: now because they're without the best player, I think, in the NBA right now. So I think this might be a playoff, so you start seeing some upsets. You might see a sixth seed in the Western or Eastern Conference Finals. You may see somebody other than a top-two seed in the NBA Finals. I think this is good for the overall health of the league. There's a lot of great young superstars that are starting to come into form, and I think Darren Fox is one of those guys that I'll just specifically shout out. I think he's been one of the best point guards in the NBA for a while now, and I think we're starting to see it. And by the way, special shout-out to the Kings fans, one of the longest-suffering fan bases in the NBA. Knicks fans, the same. Same way that these playoffs have more juice to them than what we've had really for the last four or five years. When going into it, you kind of knew who was going to win. Nobody has any clue who's going to win the title this year,
0: especially the first round. I would say I, I think especially what you're saying, Zach. The first rounds in the past couple years have been sleepers. I mean, it's just been you know maybe besides the four and five matchups here and there, and you know maybe the six three, but uh, even the one versus eight matchups now are being being watched, and you know having some good storylines behind them. I mean, you just like you were just alluding to with the Bucks, you know, losing Giannis for a couple games there, and you know, with injury. And I think that makes that series even more compelling now. So uh, compelling. So yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I said, uh, any team can win it this year. Uh, I think it's any any team to take it. And that kind of brings me to my point that I'm going to say for my long haul is um, I don't you know, I think the Clippers are a team that's not being talked about enough. I think they are. I actually have them pick uh, beating the Suns here uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, They've been playing amazingly. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is just. Uh, Playoff Kawhi is back. We haven't seen him in about you know one or two years, a couple years here. Game one, he scored thirty eight points in forty two minutes. Tuesday, thirty one points in thirty nine minutes. Just last night, uh, he didn't play with that ankle soreness, but I still think they would have beat the Suns in Game Three if he would have played. Russell Russell Westbrook is getting offensive rebounds like he's ten years younger. Um, I think the Clippers have more size and depth than the Suns do as well, and you know I think the Suns are. Clearly, just falling under the pressure of the of the finals of of the playoffs and their expectations to go to the finals and win the finals. So th- that's my uh, long haul. I just think you know, I people are talking way too much about the Suns, and I don't think the Clippers are getting a credit for how well they're playing and just how well Ty Lue is uh, as a coach is even.
2: Are you concerned that Kawhi missed yesterday? And of course, he's always seemingly banged up. So if Kawhi doesn't play, and Paul George is already out, it's hard to imagine they beat. Durant, Chris Paul.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they did say that they would... I mean, people were saying that they were going to get swept even with Paul George out, which I thought was pretty... I thought that was crazy to say. But no, I will say, I I thought the Clippers had a chance even without Paul George. If Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard doesn't play either, I... I don't really see them having a chance. I think he comes back, though. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard's very motivated. I think he's tired of being injured all the time, especially in the playoffs. It gives him extra uh, extra juice to come back and extra uh, motivation to really play. And I think... It, for me, it doesn't sound like a, a major injury. It's just something they wanted to be cautious with, especially having a 2-0 lead uh, going to San Francisco. So I, I, I do think he comes back on Sunday and they, they get the win in Oakland or in San Francisco on Sunday to go up uh, 3-1 heading back to Los Angeles. All right, good show. Let's, uh, let's end up with our predictions. Uh, Justin,
1: what's your prediction
0: uh, as we head into this week?
1: My prediction is that the Philadelphia 76ers will complete the sweep of the Brooklyn Nets. Okay.
2: Zach? Yeah, I'll give another prediction, but I'll follow it up with, I think the Celtics also sweep the Hawks. And I think if Giannis is hurt, whoever wins Celtic Sixers wins the Eastern Conference. So that's kind of my prediction as far as that's concerned. But my other prediction for this weekend is going to be the Lakers are going to beat the Grizzlies. I, I said a couple weeks ago, I feel even more confident about it now. They got the first road win uh, in game one. Murray has been fantastic. Austin Reeves has played well. And you know Anthony Davis is going to go 4-14 for, for 14 in, in every game the rest of the series. So I'm confident in the Lakers winning that. And I think the Warriors and Kings, I think it's 2-2 after Sunday. I think the Warriors yeah, win. I, yeah.
0: You think the Warriors win, uh, win on Sunday? Do you think they win the series?
2: The Warriors? Um, I, had the, to say. I had the Warriors winning in the series before it began. I don't – I think the Kings will probably – I think the Kings will win in seven. I think no road team is going to win in that series. Bold prediction. Every game is won by the road team.
0: I'm going to say the Cavaliers beat the Knicks in seven. That's my prediction of this week. Uh, Donovan Mitchell isn't playing amazing. Uh, I think the Cavaliers just look really well. They're moving the ball around really well. They have a great offensive flow to them. And, of course, this city is hungry to go back to the finals and make a deeper playoff push. So that's my prediction. I I predict the Cavaliers uh, beating the Knicks in Game 7 whenever, I guess in a week or two from now, or a week and a week and a half from now. So they will beat the Knicks at home in in Cleveland in Game 7. Well, that's our show. Uh, We'll see you all next week. But until then, keep on traveling.